Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. I recently sat down with David Cunningham, Chief Innovation Officer at Reed Smith and founder of Legal Metrics. Dave began driving change in the legal profession many years ago first working with legal professionals as a tech consultant for law firms, drawing on his business background to help clients improve their practices. Dave went on to become a chief information officer at Winston & Strong, where he created the firm's business strategies around technology and oversaw its innovation efforts. While at that firm, he founded Legal Metrics, a project that has helped legal organizations share legal operations metrics to ensure excellence initially in diversity, equity, inclusion, and growing into areas relating to finances and beyond. Today, David is Chief Innovation Officer at Reed Smith, the first person to ever hold this position at that firm. There, he's led initiatives such as Innovation Lab, a program that identifies new ways of delivering legal services and helps attorneys adopt those practices. In our discussion, Dave tells us about the lessons he learned as a consultant and the importance of those in his current job, the value of hiring an anthropologist at a law firm, and what excites him about the future of legal tech. Thanks, David, for your time. It was a great conversation. Thanks to all of you for listening. David, thanks for joining the podcast. Good to see you again. Steven, it's good to see you again. Glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah. You're in Texas, right? That's right, in Houston. Yeah. How are things down there? You know, I, I can't complain. It's January and it's maybe just below shorts weather. So uh, no complaints. <laughs> but for those of us in Chicago, you know, we're jealous. <laughs> right. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the things you've been up to. But b- before we talk about sort of all the cool things you're doing over at Reed Smith and and Legal Metrics. Talk to me a little bit about how a marketing major becomes an important change agent in the legal profession. That's, (laughs) I can't imagine you came out of college thinking, I'm going to change the way lawyers operate their businesses. You know, I, I do have a management marketing degree, but I didn't really appreciate it that much because I, I went that direction because I thought, if you're in college and you're studying something, why not study to be the boss? You know, why, why wouldn't I study the business management disciplines? And, and I found that at least in my university, it was, it was more about how to, how to run a retail business. And so I'd say my formal education didn't really, you know, it isn't really where I learned things. And, and so I was lucky to come into businesses that needed changing. And then I was a consultant for 20 years being inside a couple hundred law firms around the world. And so that, that's where I got my real street cred is um, knowing, you know, knowing what's, what's really happening and how hard you have to work to make it uh, better. You went over to HBR is what you're talking about for, for 20 years. What intrigued you about going into consulting? Well, I, I really like the idea. Uh, I mean, to me, it was the best because I didn't have to operate, you know, day to day. To me, that was the boring stuff of just keeping it running. I got to be involved when there was a problem that needed solving. I got to be involved when there was strategic planning that needed to happen. And when people were up for change and aware that this is a special situation, sometimes that's a really negative thing. Sometimes it's positive. And, and so to me, it was it was great because I, I got to you know be with firms, sit with their you know management committees and, and IT leaders. And, and think about how the future should be better and then come up with that plan to say, what's the gap? 
how do we get on a better cycle? What are the causes? What are the effects? And and really think about culture and incentives. And and so I, I really, I was always around, you know, technology and data, but where I studied was really around management philosophies and psychology and why do people do the things they do? And so when I was you know, at a technology consultancy and then we merged with Hildebrand, a management consultancy, to me, that was a, a really good connection and, and a perfect bridge because I got to see management consultants talking about the direction of the firm and then technology consultants talking about how do we actually deliver and execute some of these changes. And and I, I just thrived in that environment and then spent a lot of time with, you know, a lot of firm leaders who were working through those changes. So you started on the Baker Robbins side? That's right. That's right. So it's been a fascinating experience working across the spectrum of law firms and every law firm is different and every law firm has different cultures and different challenges. But were there some common traits or areas of improvement you sort of would consistently see across law firms? Unfortunately, there there's some real negative answers to that as I, I saw a lot of silos where people were each department in a firm kind of operated their own area and weren't that aware of what other departments used. Or I know, for example, when we would talk about something like talent management and we would talk to a firm about you've got a piece of a process and data and software related to how a firm manages its talent. And, and we would realize that different parts of the firm didn't know how they interacted with other parts of the firm. And so Recruiting may say, well, we use this tool and NHR would use this. And then the you know, firm management would use a different perspective. And so we, I found that there was just a lot of uh, siloing and not a lot of kind of lo- the whole life cycle. How do we look at the entire life cycle of an employee from the minute we know that we need them to recruiting all the way to alumni? Very, very few firms even today have a focus in that entire, you know, the life cycle of the client, of the employee, of a matter, of a dollar coming through the firm. And so that, that creates just a lot of interruption. And then in IT, I would often see, you know, and a lot of this has improved. I, I would often find kind of beaten down CIOs that say, I've been trying to, you know, advocate for this or that and the firm never wants to do it. And then I would go talk to firm management and they would say, uh, oh, of course I would come up with $5 million if we needed to solve this problem. And there's just a real disconnect. And sometimes leaders get so beaten down over time that they give up on asking for things that management feels like, if, you know, if they asked right, of course I'd come up with that. And so it's just, you know, those are opportunities. As a consultant, those were rich opportunities to say, ah, let's let's connect those pieces and do something bigger and better. And that, that's that's why I enjoyed it so much. It's got to solve those issues. On the silo front, which I've seen in my own personal experience, as well as talking to, to other firms and other firm leaders, and I'm sure you've carried with you the lessons in your subsequent jobs in law firms. How do you break that mindset? Because it's behavioral and it, it relates to incentives within the organization. Put your consulting hat on. What would have been your advice as to how to break through those silos and how to change that behavior? Yeah, and it's funny. I haven't been a consultant for twelve years, but I, I feel like I'm always in those shoes because I, I get I get to talk to other firm leaders, you know, leaders in other firms quite often, actually. And, and so I get to you know listen, learn, and share advice. So I'm, I, it, which I enjoy. How do we change the mindset? It, it, it's it's not easy. It is often up to certain personalities in the firm. You know, there's certain firms that have people that are willing to be advocates for that. And and so if the firm doesn't have certain 
leaders who are willing to be kind of the tent poles of that, I, I don't think you can. I, I think you've really got to have some strong leadership to get to, even to get started. I, I could never break through that without that. But too, sometimes it's it's just the visualization of everything. When I was consulting, I got kind of known for creating one page visualizations. Like, you know, other people would produce these big reports and I would produce a one pager that we could constantly refer back to to say, oh, yeah, you're focused on a problem, but it's just this one piece. Really, there's there's 12 pieces. And if we start connecting these, it gets to be simpler and and we can you know solve one problem, but then, you know, use that solution over and over again. We used to do a lot of workshops where we would start breaking down problems and, and say, how do we how do we simplify? Because often you'd see, you know, the the staff in a firm working so hard trying to buy all these products and put systems in. And then you walk over to the lawyers and, and they say, I, you know, I don't I've got 39 different systems that keep telling me to use. It's so difficult. And so, you know, probably half my effort always goes into just trying to simplify and say, can we use fewer systems? Can we simplify the the uh, user experience, as we would call it? And part of that comes from just looking at stepping back and saying, we've got to connect these pieces and, and maybe use one system for the entire life cycle of, of how we're managing a matter. And I've been frustrated for years trying to achieve that, right? There's no perfect, there's no perfect org chart. There's no perfect software solutions. In fact, it's, it's, it's far from that. But where I do find today, it's getting one way to cover up for all that is to be really good at data analytics. And so then, then you can say, oh, my systems are far from perfect. They're, you know, they're disconnected, they're siloed. But if I, instead of, uh, you know, ideally you do it in addition to that. But if you can't fix that, to at least bring in the data across those systems and then get really good at analytics and storytelling. So you can say, okay, maybe we've got a lot of systems that, that make the user experience hard to use, but at least from the data, I can tell you what's going on. And I can say, we need to change the recruiting process this way because I can see the pipeline of business looks like this instead of that. So that, that's a very important change today. Yeah, the data piece is amazingly effective in changing behaviors, isn't it? And that leads me to talk about legal metrics, which you did your consulting gig. You then went to be the CIO at Winston, a great firm. You did some great things there before moving over to Reed Smith's chief innovation officer. But during that time period, you founded and built up legal metrics. So for our, I assume most of our listeners are savvy enough to know what legal metrics is. But for those who don't, give us the elevator. You bet. It's really helping the law firms to understand the perspective their clients already have about them. And what I find even true today, even though it's it's been quite a few years since I started this journey, law firms tend to focus on financial metrics exclusively. They may say, "I'm all of my metrics are realization and profitability and revenue and, and, and other areas. And then because I, I, I grew up speaking so much with the legal ops side of the legal departments that uh, I really got to see what are the legal departments measuring. And, and they are really looking at so many other types of metrics. And, and so they're looking at, at the complexity of the work. They're looking at how long it takes to solve the problem. They're uh, obviously looking at diversity, which is a, a big focus of ours. And so we wanted to say, hey, if the legal department has so much more context for that matter than the law firm, how do we balance that out so we have a common language you know, a supply chain, right? You would, if you're supplying parts to a car manufacturer, you would make sure that you're giving, you know, if you're producing a part, you're producing the right information to the manufacturer that needs that part. And they may want 
to understand error rates and inventory and uh, other factors. And you want to make sure you're talking in their language. And we don't have that in legal, right? The law firms in one language and the legal department's in another. And, and so we, I, I talked about it for years and decided, let's just create a tool that can automatically calculate that and, and share the story. And so that's, that's what we've been doing. You, you started sort of in the DEI space, if I recall. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's still our it's still our biggest focus. We didn't want to come and say, "Hey, there's one more survey to fill out," and or there's one more standard. Trust us, because every year there's kind of one more group that comes on and says, "Oh, we'll be the new standard. All the rest will go away." And you end up with 121 different metrics like we have today. And and so we're kind of the anti-survey tool to say, "Hey, if you are." So we basically calculate all of the surveys and metrics that are already out there. And so that we're trying to get the law firm to be not so buried in trying to manually do all that and then have more of a monthly instead of an annual perspective of how they're doing and then interact with the client's perspective. Talk a little bit about the impact these metrics have on behavior of law firms and and legal departments. You, You must have some interesting success stories to talk about as well as those that have not been as successful as you would like. The role of data analytics and changing behavior. Talk a little bit about your experience there. It's an incredible area. We talk a little about legal metrics in Reed Smith because they're they're quite they're really on the same mission. And so um, at Reed Smith, our, our goal is to really be a showcase for what's possible in this area. Understanding our clients' metrics, understanding our business, being able to run ourselves as a you know as a really lean business that is nimble and can adjust, just like you'd expect out of any other type of company. And so we have different areas of metrics we're focused on. We're, we're focused on a lot around our, our clients, around our talent, around our risks, and being able to bring those together. And, and so a lot of what I talk about is, is how do we understand our supply of talent, the work that's coming in the door, the demand, and then how do we understand how supply and demand come together in our firm? And that's a huge challenge. Give me an example of sort of the type of I'm a lawyer. I'm getting this report. What am I going to look at? Is it sort of hours based in terms of capacity of lawyers? Is it? I'll give you several examples. So one of them is we have a, a client health algorithm. And, and so this is basically saying from our perspective, how healthy is that client? And so we factor in a lot of things to that. We look at, you know, financially, are, are they healthy? Are we our revenues growing? Is our profitability okay? Are things expanding? Are they paying the bills? And those are more normal things, but we want to go beyond that to say, is our relationship strong? We can look at how often we're meeting with them and if they're attending our events and if they are uh, responding to some of the uh, informational material that we provide to them. And if they're referring work in other areas, are we growing into other areas with them? And so we're basically saying, and what's our relationship with them? Uh, is that part of the healthiness? And then we're looking at, you know, cross-selling. How is our relationship changing over time? Are they working with other firms and areas that we could be helping them? And, you know, I, I can't describe the whole algorithm, but we want to look at a lot of factors and then bring that back in a really simple, simple way to say, are, is there anything that we can do better? And then we also want to look at the health from the client's perspective to say, we may think they're healthy, but does the client feel that it's a healthy relationship? And, and then the other big area, lots of examples, but we want to identify what, what's the, what are the uh, areas of growth? And, and so if we are working with a, a client, understanding that client and that industry really well, I mean, we're hiring industry analysts, we are mining, uh, you know, external and internal experience and, and research databases. And we're saying, let's really understand that client and then look at areas where we should, we could be helping them more. And and that is, again, both from the client's perspective, you know, what can we do more to help them? But obviously it's our focus as well. How do we grow 
uh, with cross-selling opportunities? Where's the white space in a client that we're not taking advantage of? And how do we understand their industry? So when we talk to them, that they, um, we, we reflect that we actually know how, how to help them in these areas. And that's a lot of different things thrown into one piece. But. You're pulling together a lot of information. How do you distill it in a way that's actionable for the lawyers? One thing that we've, we've talked a lot about this past year is lawyers don't like dashboards. And that's right. And it's funny. <laughs> you, you agree. So many people I talk to when we talk about reflecting what we learned, they think about bar charts uh, and they think about Power BI and et cetera. And those are to us, those are those are a level down. Like we do that. We do that all day long. And we we've got so many dashboards uh, already and, and we'll keep producing them. They're useful. But uh, what we're doing is we're growing a team of storytellers because that's what's been missing is we have some really impressive analytics around our lateral partners that come in the door and, and our diversity um, initiatives, et cetera. A lot, lots of charts, lots of dashboards, but, but a really busy partner leader doesn't have time to go and, and sit down. But one, the lawyer brain isn't usually attuned to numbers and charts and graphs. That, that's usually an uncomfortable transition, as we've seen from studies. And, and two, they don't have time to say, to interpret what that means. And so we, we're, we've been missing that translation layer to tell the story. And, and so we've been doing that more and more um, to say, sure, we've got all these analytics on, on the, you know, last 300 lateral partners, but let's, let's tell the story, what we've learned from that. What do we need to react to that? Which is kind of fun and to be able to sit back and say, I've reviewed all the charts let me tell you what's really helpful and how we need to react to that and, and make it very actionable. And that's new for us. So as you're hiring a storyteller, what kind of background are you looking for? That's I mean, fascinating to me. Yeah. I assume it's not just a pure data person because they sometimes aren't the best storytellers. No, in, in fact, they are some of the, I mean, the answer is it's all over the place. So some people just are good at at that nature. And even if they weren't trained formally in it, but I I do know that there are storyteller paths within some MBA programs and universities, because they recognize that it's kind of the next generation of how do we, how do we interpret all this? We get more and more data, right? Which is interesting because I haven't, I've seen it less on, uh, it's usually not on a data scientist path, it's usually on an MBA path because it's really saying I need to help lead a business or, or coach a business through a change. And therefore, I'm the storyteller and someone else is maybe producing the data to help me do that. But, but a, a really good person would be a good bridge, right? They'd be able to work with the, the data science team because they need to also shape what do I need to know in order to tell the story? And, and so it's, it's new for us. We've got a lot to learn, but it's, it's usually more on the, business degree or psychology degree than it is on the scientific side, for sure. That's fascinating. I don't know of any, I don't know of any firm that's sort of, I know Microsoft uses storytelling as a, you know, Jason talks about that a lot. I, I've not heard of any firm doing the same skill set. That's fascinating. Well, one of the things that's sort of remarkable about Reed Smith, where you're now chief innovation officer, have been for a little over a year, is you've got a variety of different initiatives out there from Gravity Stack, I want to talk about Innovation Lab, you've got Google Solutions, you've got... What was it about that portfolio, some of which was there when you started, some of which you, you introduced? What was it about that portfolio that led you to think, this is an interesting challenge? Well, I, um, 
I wanted to be at a firm that wasn't trying to figure out how to start being innovative because that's a pretty low level. And so, you know, Reed Smith has a 13 different alternative service delivery teams uh, per my count. And so, you know, they've made really significant investments in interesting areas. And so that, you know, that gets your attention. And then um, when I was talking with their senior management early on, you know, they really said they wanted to build uh, a platform for the lawyers of Reed Smith so that the the benefits they get by being at Reed Smith outweigh what they could get at any other firm. And so if you think about it as as a way for our software and processes and data to come together as a platform and for a partner or an associate to say, it actually helps me be successful. It is making it easier to do my job. I'm spending less time just trying to find things. I am, I'm informed of the, you know, we have over 3,000 employees, so I'm informed of what's happening around the globe. I can tap into our experience and our knowledge, and it's easier for me to, whatever my job is, sell work, do, you know, perform the legal work that I need, and they find they're more likely to be successful at Reed Smith and reluctant to leave because another firm can't deliver that level of intelligence and insights. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, hey, that's the challenge, right? Great. We've got a, we've got a lot of things going on. We've got a big firm. How do we pull it together? And so we do something bigger and, and unique, but, but simplify it so people really find that they, they use it and love it. And so one of the things you've introduced recently is Innovation Lab. Right. Uh, tell us about Innovation Lab, and, and then I'm going to ask you about the person you hired to run Innovation Lab, which I find yeah, absolutely. The lab is very important to us because partially because we already did so many things. And what I observed is that we had all of our teams really busy working on all of these, you know, 99 innovation projects already and, and trying to get the attention of lawyers to make sure that they, they are aware and they, they know what, what's happening. And then a lot of stuff going on and a lot of communication to lawyers who are busy. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that's that's the point. As a lawyer say, wow, there's so much. It's hard to keep track of. It's hard to remember the differences. And so what you found is a very, even though we're making so many investments that are, you know, and each of them are successful in their own way, you could collectively sit back and say, are we really baking them in to everything that we do deeply enough? And, and you know, the answer is never going to be yes. And so the lab's job is to, instead of waiting for partner who's very busy, to remember six months later that, oh, when you're doing this, there's a team that could help you. I will go call them because remember, they emailed me three months ago about what they did, this catalog of services. We needed to turn that around because and partners aren't you know usually in a reinvention mode when they're in the matter. They're very focused, et cetera. And so the lab is is a way for us to sit back and say, we are going to help you think fresh about how to deliver that service. And so instead of counting on the lawyer to remember all the different catalog of services we can provide, the lab is, is of course, you know, completely informed of those things. And so the, the lab's job is to examine the lawyer's, the, the practice's way of, of operating. And then we get to sit back and say, ah, here's how we can help. Think about that. And so you, you hired Dr. Boyer, who was an anthropologist. He was a KPMG, which I just find to be one of the more fascinating <laughs> Law firms hire, so you know. And uh, as I said to you off air, I'm very jealous. It looks very cool. I'm curious in two ways. One, how you see that her unique skill sets fitting into what you accomplished for labs, 
And if you had to go get the okay to hire, how does that conversation work in a law firm to say, hey, we're hiring an anthropologist to come in front of innovation? <laughs> Never been in a law firm before, right? Uh, well, fortunately, at, at Reed Smith, that was an easy conversation. So um, that, that that speaks to a lot. But yeah, I mean, we we recognize that there's a lot of us here that already know legal and legal technology. And, and so hiring you know, the 3000 and first person who knows legal and technology and has, it's been here forever is very incremental. And, and so we really wanted to hire someone who understands why we do things and, and how we think about that, how we are open to change and, and how we evolve. And so uh, we, we wanted someone who wasn't already, I mean, so I would, I would say there's two things. There's being outside of legal and being an anthropologist. I think both of those were assets to us. And so we wanted someone who had a perspective in professional services, but maybe has in some ways seen the future, seen what we could be if we weren't doing things like every other firm. And the anthropology angle is uh, being able to have a what she would call a human-centered design process where we're not looking at systems and, and data and processes. We're really thinking about the human in the middle and to say, how do we change things so they center around the human that we're trying to um, trying to help and really be able to study us and, and learn and observe and, and use more psychology and sociology to sit back and look at, look at the machine we're trying to improve. And so it's been, um, it's, it's been great. You said the conversation was easy at, at Reed Smith, and which does speak to the innovative sort of culture you have. How did that conversation go? Was it, was it as simple as going, I'm going to hire, she's going to be, she's a doctor of anthropology and everybody goes, Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) What what are you doing? Well, I'll I'll put that in two pieces. One is um, when I pitched the lab itself um, and and then when we hired Madeline as part of that. So the the lab itself was, was accepted. Both the conversations were easy, but, but it was accepted quickly because we already had all these investments. And, and so it's basically saying we've already made the investments and we could really use them, build them more deeply into our, our practices. And so Sandy is our managing partner. He, he picked it up really quickly. And, and so that was something he you know really saw as valuable to being able to think differently and, and step back and not, not just constantly trying to hit lawyers uh, on the same way they're doing things. And, and then, you know, hiring an anthropologist wasn't, I mean, I'm struggling to even think what the hurdle was. It wasn't so much of a hurdle, really, because we'd already set it up. I mean, the way I described it was this is like our own internal consulting group, basically. And so we, we were purposely creating something that can constantly study us and step back just like I did for so many years, but, you know, in a hopefully better and be able to, you know, study us and understand how to, how to impact us. And so having someone both from a big four and, and with that kind of background was a perfect fit. And, and so it wasn't really, it wasn't really a struggle at that point. It, it fit the mission. What type of team do you think she'll build in labs? What are the types of skill sets that you need to flesh out what, what your mission is? One thing we really made clear internally, and I want to make sure it's clear here, is the lab is not some separate team over, over in a corner that's only as big as the people we hire inside the lab. The, the lab is really a facilitator of a lab process. And so we have a client value team. We have a Six Sigma process engineering team in our, in our leads office. We have the gravity stack. We have something we call the red team. We, we've got all these skill sets. And so 
the lab is not separate from those. The lab is basically saying, how do I take those skills and let's go do an analysis together? And so we will, yes, we'll continue to hire people in the lab. We're hiring some some R&D people. We're hiring some process engineers. But the point isn't to make the lab um, really big. The point is for it to be the core process lead to use all those skill sets. And, and so what we do is when we have our workshops, we bring those people into the workshop because we're studying it from those perspectives. Everybody has a perspective. Let me look at it from the value perspective, from the process perspective, from the client's perspective. And, and so the lab is a facilitator. And then based on that analysis, we come up with with a new playbook basically and said, ah, this is the way we've done it before. Here are three different uh, strategies for how we can do it going forward. And, and the idea is to use our senior management team basically to approve a new playbook to say, here's how this practice will evolve over the next two or three years. So the skill sets are more, you know, not only process focused and research focused, but also um, facilitating more of the workshops and, and these learning conversations. We're running up against our time limit here, David. Last question for you. There's been a lot of discussion about the evolution of legal tech, and I can't think of a firm more adept at applying legal tech than, well, than you guys, well, maybe us, but that's, <laughs> what do you see on the horizon that's got you excited about technology and the way it can change the way lawyers do their business? You know, I have to say, I probably would have several different answers, but what, one of them that's really important to us right now is we are designing a partner-friendly interface to the way we do things. And, you know, whether you call it a portal or or an insights um, page, we, we basically want to bring things to our partners in a very personalized fashion. And and so is it high tech? Is it cutting edge? No, it, it's really just thoughtful design um, to say, is there a place a partner can go and feel comfortable that they can really tap into the all, all of this investment that we've made in matter management, in client insights, in understanding the opportunities and the research we have out there and, and the skill sets we have to help their team. And so that the design of, of a partner centric way to access all of that is, is one of our top deliverables this year. And then that is that will become really more and more important to us over the next 24 months, because as we continually focus on how does a matter team uh, be able to collaborate more together with our clients. You know, how does that all happen online? And how do we add more protocol to the way we deliver our services and really look at making sure the work is going to the right fit people on all those different teams? The more we get diligent on that, the more important it is to have a, a, a really simple way to interact with it. So that's so I'd say design of the systems is is a, a bigger focus than actually buying more systems. That's a fascinating answer, and it, it shows the sophistication you bring to the task because there's such a tendency to buy the next flashy toy, right? You know, the next right. next cool thing that's going to solve all the problems without extracting value from investments you've currently made. That's right. We, we want to buy a few flashy things too, but um, but, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> well, flashy things are fun. <laughs> they're, they're cool. About, a little bit of both, right? No, you're totally right. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It's been fascinating. You guys are doing some incredibly interesting stuff under your leadership. I can listen to you talk for a lot longer, but we're mindful of your time. And thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to the cool things you're doing, David. Well, thank you. We are, we're foundational, so I'm still talking about the future more than what we've accomplished. But I, I am glad to share as we um, actually make these things happen. So thanks for spotlighting. 
Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.